0: 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world.
1: Hi,
0: my name is Ju and I'm a
1: Vietnamese student
2: studying in Korea. I learned about KBS World Radio when I was getting ready to come to Korea. I started listening to the station to understand more about the Korean language as well as the culture, society, and politics. It is a bit difficult, but it helps me a lot with my studies because the programs are very high quality, unmatched by those of any other stations. I'm particularly interested in news, cultural events, and sports. I love how there are always various cultural events taking place in Korea. Congratulations on the 70th anniversary. I'll look forward to more programs on Korea's cultural events. Thank you.
1: 70 years
0: with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are.
3: Wednesday the 27th of December and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host Won jang South Korean actor Lee Hong Goon has died in an apparent suicide. He had been under a high-profile investigation by the police regarding alleged drug use. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. Artificial intelligence has been the technological buzzword of the year. We explore how it changed the world this year and discuss what lies ahead for our in-depth and coming up for korea book club we delve into a prequel to the hit novel the old woman with the knife and we also look back on the year in literature in korea we have all that and more on today's Korea 24. Mm-hmm. south korean actor lee sun who gained international fame for starring in the oscar-winning black comedy thriller parasite was found dead in an apparent suicide on Wednesday. This comes amid a police investigation into alleged drug use. Uh, KBS World Radio News Editor Gu joins us in the studio now to give us the latest on this as well as our other headlines of the day. He Jin, hello. Hello. Jungle. Yes, this news has certainly shocked both the public and the entertainment industry. He had been in the headlines in recent weeks over allegations of drug use. Mm-hmm. But first, what can you tell us about his death?
2: Well, according to the police and fire authorities, the acclaimed 48-year-old actor was found unconscious inside a vehicle near Waryong Park in Seoul's central Chungno district at around 10.30 a.m., some 20 minutes after he was reported missing by his manager. The police have launched an investigation into the death, uh, so far revealing that a memo resembling a suicide note was found at his home and a large charcoal briquette was on the passenger seat of the vehicle. Suspected of using marijuana and ketamine on multiple occasions at an uh, entertainment establishment and the residence of a hostess over the past year, he had appeared for three rounds of questioning by Incheon police since October 28th.
3: And he had professed his innocence on multiple occasions.
2: Yes, while apologising to the public for causing. disappointment and concern, the star had claimed that he was tricked by the hostess into taking the drugs without knowing what they were. He had tested negative in both a brief reagent test and a lab test by the National Forensic Service. Uh, Following the third round of questioning on the weekend, he requested a polygraph test for himself and the hostess on Tuesday, asserting his innocence. After debuting in 2001, Yi rose to stardom, appearing in the 2007 drama Irma series Behind the White Tower, Coffee Prince and the 2010 series Pastor before achieving international recognition with his starring role in director Bong Joon-ho's 2019 Oscar winning Parasite
3: yes with his death the police investigation into his drug use has ended as per korean law but related investigations will continue mm-hmm. in the meantime i'm sure much outpouring of grief from many quarters will continue for some time mm-hmm. let's turn now to the political arena the former ruling people power party chair Sak, announced his departure from the party today and declared the creation of his new party can you tell us more
2: well, in a news conference held at a restaurant in Seoul's Norn district, he said he was leaving PPP. The former party chair added that he submitted to the National Election Commission a report on preparations for his new party, dubbed the so-called New Reform Party. During the briefing, he noted that 12 years ago, Wednesday, he had entered politics. He, had, he said he was giving up all the political assets he held while he was ru- uh, in the ruling party, adding that he was making the choice to leave because he was looking to the future and not the past. Uh, he also denied a scenario of him getting back together with the ruling camp before next year's general elections.
3: Meanwhile, rival political parties continue to clash over the main opposition Democratic Party's plan to railroad a bill on special council investigations into alleged stock manipulation by the First Lady Kim Gun-hee and bribes received in the Taejangdong land development scandal. What can you tell us?
2: Well, the ruling uh, PPP denounced the plan to handle what it described as evil bills for the general elections in Thursday's plenary session, uh, maintaining its stance that it cannot accept their passage by the DP. The main opposition is also firm in its stance to push forward with the bills in the session, adding that the president's spouse should not be protected from an investigation. The ruling party lawmakers also believe that the special probe into the tejang land development scandal is a strategy to delay and hinder the investigation of DP leader Yi jae With the DP holding a majority, however, the bills are expected to pass, which which will in turn likely lead to a request from the BP, uh, PPP that President Yoon Sung use his vi- uh, veto power.
3: Let's turn now to inter-Korean matters. South Korea has slapped additional sanctions on eight North Korean individuals linked to the regime's armed trade and illicit cyber activities in response to Pyongyang's missile launch last week. Can you elaborate?
2: Well, the sanctions included Lee Chang-ho, the head of the North's Reconnaissance General Bureau, the state intelligence agency behind the country's major cyber attacks. The latest round of sanctions on Wednesday came in response to the North's launch of an intercontinental ballistic missile on December 18th, and is the second set of sanctions this month. The foreign ministry explained that the eight people subject to the latest sanctions were all involved in financing the regime's nuclear and missile programmes by trading for materials needed to produce such weapons. The ministry pointed out that D was added to the list for, uh, list for leading the intelligence agency that oversees North Korea's major cyber attacks and hacking groups such as Kim Lazarus and Andariel. The yoon Song yeol administration has so far imposed 14 sanctions, 12 of which were unilaterally imposed. The sanctions have so far targeted 83 North Korean individuals and 53 institutions."
3: Meanwhile, North Korea has opened a year-end meeting of the ruling Workers' Party led by leader Kim Jong-un.
2: Of course, uh, according to the North's official Korean Central News Agency on Wednesday, Kim presided over the plenary uh, uh, meeting of the party's central committee the previous day to review the implementation of state policies this year. At the meeting, Kim reportedly defined 2023 as a year of great turn and great change that served as a milestone on the North's glory path of development with the enhancements of national power and the promotion of national prestige. The agenda featured six primary focal points, including a review of policy implementation this year, the direction of national uh, development for next year and the budget for both this year and the next. The outcome is typically announced by Kim on the last day of the meeting before the state media issues a report on the first day of the new year.
3: In other news, South Korea announced that it signed a deal to purchase 20 additional F-35A stealth fighters from the US.
2: Yes, the Defence Acquisition Programme Administration, or DAPA, uh, the State Arms Procurement Agency, said it signed the Letter of Acceptance, or LOA, on December 8th with the US government for 20 additional F-35As in a foreign military sale. DAPA brought in uh, 40 F-35A fighters between 2019 and 2022, with 39 of them currently in operation after one made an emergency landing in January due to a bird strike that caused internal damage too costly to repair. The government plans to acquire 20 additional F-35As in a second round of procurement, which will raise the total to 59. Dapa said the 20 new fighters will possess a significantly improved performance over the current models in terms of threat response capabilities, encryption and security functions as well as armed operation abilities.
3: And finally, turning to some economic news, the state antitrust watchdog will seek to impose a fine on food product manufacturers that fail to notify consumers of a volume reduction without a price cut as part of efforts to eradicate the so-called shrinkflation mm-hmm. phenomenon. Can you elaborate?
2: Well, the Fair Trade Commission said it will issue an administrative notice uh, from Wednesday, from uh, through uh, January 16th, for revisions concerning the Framework Act on Consumers for uh, such unfair. The revisions will apply to processed grain products, confectionery, frozen desserts, uh, beverages, condiments and sauces. Once the revisions take effect, manufacturers will be required to notify the Korea Consumer Agency when changing product details and inform consumers via the packaging or the company's website. Violators will face a fine of 5 million won or around 3,900 US dollars upon first violation and 10 million won on the second time round.
3: That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. 2023 was the year when artificial intelligence went mainstream. The emergence of AI, specifically generative AI, was the most prominent and talked about technological advancement of the year. Generative AI refers to technology that's been trained on vast amounts of data so that it can create new content such as text, images or even videos. One prime example is ChatGPT which produces human-like responses to just about any question you ask. This revolutionary tool caused a lot of hype, wonder and fear, and it played a major role in bringing generative AI to the forefront of people's mind this year. It also served as the catalyst for discussion on important questions that society will have to address. To take a look back at generative AI's growth this year and what to expect from this powerful technology moving forward, we're joined on the line now by Ravi Shankar Chatterverde, the Director of Research, Lecturer in Global Business and Doctoral Research Fellow for Innovation and Change at Fletcher's Institute for Business in the Global Context at Tufts University. He's also the Managing Director of Digital Planet. Mr. Chatterverde, hello and welcome to the show. Thank you, Django, and
4: uh, thank you very much for having me. And it's great to great to chat with you.
3: Can you first help us better understand generative AI? What is it exactly, and how does it work?
4: Well, generative AI refers to a, a certain class of uh, artificial intelligence algorithms that generate new content. Uh, think of them as images, text, uh, other forms of data. Uh, these systems are typically trained on large data sets, extremely large data sets, and used language models, uh, like GPT that you referred to a little while ago, which uh, which actually is an acronym that stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. Uh, and to understand patterns, recognize patterns, generate content, and serve it to the user in a conversational and friendly manner.
3: Right, so ChatGPT, it is the uh, program that... Caused quite a sensation, particularly this year. Uh, it brought a lot of uh, wonder and amazement, as we said, but also some fear. Can you tell us more about ChatGPT? What is it capable of, and also, what are its limitations at the moment?
4: Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> that's that's an interesting question. I think I think Chad. The way I think the right way to think about ChatGPT is uh, is as you know an eager assistant at this point in time. A, a Uh, much more like an eager student trying to impress a teacher. Uh, But that being said, uh, and I say that because, you know, it doesn't always get it right. Uh, And what, uh, you know, what it lacks in sometimes in accuracy, it makes up for in its earnestness and and, and in its eagerness uh, to serve uh, results up, uh, you know, in in, in literally no time. Uh, That being said, uh, it is learning extremely fast. Uh, it is learning extremely fast, and the more it learns, the more you the more all of us interact with it, the faster it learns and the better it gets uh, so uh, uh, you know so so if you were to think about you know uh, what it could what it is and what it could be uh, right now, like i said it's it 's a bit of an eager uh, student uh, you know uh, absorbing as much information and trying to serve it up and and uh, but that being said, it has the potential. Uh, to turn into, shall we say, a, wi- a wise and knowledgeable companion, a friend uh, who can engage in conversations on almost any topic you throw, throw you throw at them. I mean, think of it as a bit of a uh, uh, bit of a Hobbes to the Calvin in Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, <laughs> this friend, you know, has uh, you can think of this friend as having read an immense library of books and articles, absorbing all the information within. And when you ask. Uh, them a question or start a conversation, uh, then we tap into this vast knowledge to provide you with, you know, thoughtfully, uh, you know, thoughtfully curated, contextually relevant responses. Uh, That is, uh, you know, that is the that is the desired state. And that is the state that we are uh, we are we are likely going to see in 2024 and, 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 you know, sooner than we, you know, than we think.
3: Yes, there's been huge amounts of interaction with ChatGPT and in turn other AI tools this year. Would you say that it's fair to say that 2023 was perhaps a turning point when it comes to uh, our understanding and uh, interaction with AI and generative AI? How has it changed the tech industry around the world this year, would you say?
4: Well, so the, the expectations of what... Uh, any kind of AI could do. I mean, the transformative capabilities have have always been, you know, known. And we, you know, uh, those of us who've been studying, uh, you know, the the explosion of, uh, shall we say, digitalization and and the growth of data around the world, uh, have been, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, what uh, what the next stage of evolution, if you were to think about it, uh, which uh, really AI and algorithms. Uh, uh ai generative ai and algorithms really are uh we've been thinking about the promise and the potential and and the perils uh but what we've seen in 2023 is a lot of it you know uh, becoming front and center in a very short time i mean so uh, you could think of this as a breakout year right for uh for uh the the rubber meeting the road so to speak and the world uh you know uh, uh, and everybody, everybody in it, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, interacting and and realizing the the importance of it. Uh, so ever since it was released, what was it, end of December, end of November, uh, night 2022? I don't think there has been a day when it has not been in the news. Right, AI talk is everywhere now, from businesses and schools, Hollywood, election campaigns, you name it. Uh, I mean, if you were to just think about what we call the Magnificent Seven. Uh, in 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 the United States, uh, you know, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta, Microsoft, Nvidia, Tesla. Uh, these seven, you know, companies have, you know, really uh, been leading,
3: shall we say, the charge uh, of of AI. Mm.
4: And and rightly so, they are they are the most valued companies right now.
3: Right, and they are investing billions uh, in the technology. So. Which countries are leading the race right now in generative AI? Is it mostly the U.S., all those companies you mentioned, they are uh, U.S. companies, or are there other players involved as well?
4: Well, I mean, there are a few axes that are emerging, right? So uh, for the longest time, uh, uh, all things AI were were thought of as a bipolar race between the United States and China. Uh, Now, and we just released uh, our research, Uh, we called it the train scorecard, T R A I N, which stands for Top Ranked uh, AI Nations, and we studied 25 countries around the world uh, that are uh, uh, that are you know and and we called it uh, you know we, we think of this as the emerging geography if you will of AI, uh, and we see a few axes developing. Uh, clearly, you know the United States and China are vying to be uh, the world's top AI economy. Uh, you know, and and uh, much has been said and written about uh, a uh, an emerging digital cold war uh, but the, the, but there is more to the story as we see it uh, than the you know and and the na- and, and and shall we say there is there is a larger cast of nations uh, while most attention tends to be drawn uh, by the United States and China uh, the EU for example has led the effort to regulate ai uh, in democratic societies uh, and now uh, you know you've seen regulations uh, the United States uh, you know proactively placing uh, putting in place regulations Canada incidentally was one of the first uh countries to come up with a national AI strategy. Um now what we're also seeing is populous developing countries uh such as India and Indonesia are uh, are uh, you know with their explosive data growth are are also aiming to be data rich nations which their fast growing pools of data being shall we say the mother's milk for all mm. manner of AI. So uh it is uh, it is a it is a fascinating, shall we say, uh, uh the, the emerging geography of AI is, is fascinating. It is definitely not bipolar. Uh there is uh there is there is a lot more uh, you know, to uh, to this picture uh than, than meets the eye.
3: You've mentioned regulations just now. As much as there has been excitement about the potential for AI and how it could change our lives, it has sparked an equal amount of uh, concern as well, uh, you could say, not just about how it could affect uh, industries and people's jobs, but there are also other ethical concerns as well. What concerns do you think are the most significant as we see this proliferation of this technology?
4: Uh, I think, and, and, you know, uh, it, it's important to kind of, you know, w- while we're all, you know, starry-eyed about the, about the promise uh, of AI, uh, you know, and, and there is some, uh, pensive, pensiveness, and rightly so, given, uh, given the, uh, given, you know, the, the, uh, the prospect, if you will, of, uh, several white-collar jobs, shall we say, uh, being at risk. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. But I think there is something much more, shall we say, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, there's something that is much more uh, uh, urgent and important, uh, and that is uh, that is the future of democracy. Uh, uh, if you were to just think about, you know, 2024, uh, it is going to be the biggest election year in, shall we say, the recent human history, uh, or uh, the entire human history, shall we say? It is probably the most significant election year. Uh, there are about 40 countries that are going in for elections, and one of the biggest concerns, and probably the most pertinent one, is misinformation and disinformation. Mm. Now, to be sure, disinformation existed long before, uh, you know, uh, genitive AI, uh, you know, uh, came into being, uh, but the, the, the challenge uh, and, and, and the fear is uh, about how AI can exacerbate uh, misinformation and disinformation in ways that can be problematic. Now, if we were to sit and think about what large language models could uh you know uh, could uh, could do to uh you know, such as uh, you know, shall we say AI and large language models uh could do uh, in twenty twenty four, they could wreak havoc, uh, you know, uh in our in in our trust uh in institutions. Uh the one thing uh, so several things, right? So one is the quantity of disinformation, uh, you know, and, and, and shall we say the volume of uh and nonsense that you know, if it were multiplied by you know several, uh, you know, uh, by, by a thousand or or or, or a hundred thousand, uh, it, it could you know, uh, it, it 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 could start messing with people's perceptions of what reality is. Right. The, you know, so there is there is that. So there is the quantity factor. Then there is the quality factor. Right. I mean, uh, there are uh, there are extremely realistic mm. deep fakes. Uh, I think it was The New York Times recently, uh, or, or I can't remember because there's so much information hitting us, uh, hitting our eyeballs every day, uh, which had this interactive, uh, which where you, you where you were asked to, and I'm sure there are several others uh, where you, you know, you, you are uh, you're asked to spot the real and the fake. Right. It is incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult uh, to, and, and those of us who are, you know, uh, uh, think of ourselves as being savvy, I barely, you know, uh, I got it wrong several times. Uh, and, and hyper-realistic defects, I mean, uh, you know, uh, quit sway waters, right? I mean, so uh, that is a big concern. I mean, what do they say? That, you know, uh, uh, a lie travels seven times around the world before truth has, you know, even had an opportunity to put on its shoes. So, you know, debunking all of this right. can become a massive issue. Right, and the third is all kinds of, uh, shall we say, micro targeting. Uh, you know, given that we know so much, in, you know, there is so much information available about so many people, and you know what they think, what they believe, uh, what they do, uh, you know, uh, who they are, and so on and so forth. Uh, there could be personalization of all manner of propaganda, uh, and that and happening and that happening at scale uh, can be deeply problematic. And right. And, you know, and, we, and all of this is happening at a time when trust in institutions uh, is on a decline. And so that is a big concern. So the biggest peril, shall we say, is much more
3: sort of clear and present and imminent. So do you think that's what we're going to be talking about most when it comes to AI next year? Uh, what do you think we can expect from this technology in 2024? How will it affect our lives, do you think?
4: Uh, I mean, considering that 40, 40 countries, give or take, uh, nearly o- o- over one half of the global population and and over one half of the global GDP is uh, is going to elect uh, you know democratically elect uh, th- their their new leaders. Uh, this will be one of the biggest uh, uh, and and should be really uh, one of the biggest things that we should be talking about and and really uh, putting in safeguards uh, uh, you know uh, in place before. Uh, you know before the uh, before this peril diminishes the real potential of how AI could truly transform uh, you know uh, and and create a step change in, uh, in, in our in, 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 in society in in meaningful uh ways uh, so I think that is that is definitely a concern.
3: Well, it's been a breakout year, but we will see how this technology develops and see how it affects our lives and society moving forward. Uh, Mr. Chatterverdy, we appreciate you offering your thoughts on this for us today. We'll be speaking to Ravi Shankar Chatterverdy from the Fletcher Institute for Business in the Global Context at Tufts University. Thank you once again for your time. Thank you so much.
0: Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index gained 10.91 points, or 0.42% on Wednesday, to close the day at 2,613.50. The tech-heavy KOSDAQ also jumped, climbing 11.45 points, or 1.35%, to close at 859.79. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened, 0.31 against the U.S. dollar, Closing the day at 1,294.21. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We've come now to Korea
3: Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, we have with us in the studio... News editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello, it's good to see you. Hello, oh, it's good to see you too, Zhang Okay, let's get into that first story. What do you have for us? Well, these
5: days it's becoming a lot more difficult to find available taxis in Seoul, especially while the weather is cold and ice and snow can be found on the ground. But now there is another issue that people need to keep in
3: mind, reports of fake taxi this holiday season. And right, when we say fake t- taxis, we mean vehicles that really do look like real taxis with signs and everything and they are, in fact, illegal, though, fake taxis. And not only are they illegal, they're actually overcharging people as well. Yes. it's One reported
5: incident happened at around 3 a.m. on the 20th of this month near Itaewon Station. It was minus 10 degrees Celsius, and there was a crowd of people waiting for cabs. A lady headed to Mapo's Sangam neighborhood hailed a cab, and the driver talked about extra charges. and saying due to icy road conditions, he will need 50,000 won in cash when this distance should only cost around 20,000 won. Another passenger, a man seemingly drunk, asked how much it would be for him to get to Kayang Station, and the driver has said 100,000 won, and that's about four to five times higher than the regular fare for that distance. The drunk man said he'll wire
3: the money and hopped on board. Right, just for a bit more reference uh, for our international listeners, 100,001 is about 75 US dollars. And in a regular taxi, that would have cost around 15 to 20 dollars. So it's a huge markup uh, for that customer. So, how did they discover that the taxis were fake then? So, the lady reported the license
5: plate number to a call center, and the center said that the vehicle was not registered, confirming that the car, although displaying the taxi logo and having basically almost everything you see on the exterior of an ordinary cab it was not real uh, there are obvious telltale signs of a fake cab drivers asking for ridiculously high fees or unusual extra charges A lot of times these unregistered illegal taxis will be missing a proper meter, so that's one telltale sign. Or they may be seen using license plates with some unusual numbers or boards. They usually target people heading home in the wee hours at bustling areas like Hongdae, Gangnam,
3: Itaewon, South Station and Kimpo International Airport. Yes, as you mentioned, part of the reason why this is happening is because there is a gap in the market. These illegal cabs are taking advantage of the fact that it's become increasingly difficult to catch a taxi, especially at night, and other public transport options are still limited. And if the situation doesn't improve, I guess we might see more of these uh, fake taxis. It is a concerning situation. In the meantime, let's move on to our second story now. What do you have for us? Well, in Korea, when preparing to jump
5: into the workforce, some of the qualifications considered to be basic credentials include English proficiency. Mm. Uh, Two tests to measure proficiency are TOEIC and TOEFL. Uh, They're trending in Korea today because of the rising test fees.
3: Yes, these tests are very familiar to Koreans. They're uh, quite important for a variety of reasons, like you said, for getting a job or internships. uh, But other reasons as well, for example, moving uh, abroad and more. So tell us more about this situation with increasing fees then.
5: Right, let's look at the numbers for a speaking test for TOEIC, which is a simple test that lasts less than an hour. It costs about 80001 or around 60 US dollars, quite a surge from around four years ago when it used to cost around 60000 or $46. Dollars. For TOEFL, it has gone up to $220 from 200 last year. Another type of speaking test design for office workers named OPIC has also been jacked up all the way to 84000 from 78000 last year. So what are the reasons behind this spike in the cost of these exams? some industry insiders say, the registration fees are adjusted after taking into account various factors related to local economic situations. As of November, Korea's consumer price index stood at 112.74 in November, up 3.3% from a year earlier. In contrast, the cost of the TOEIC speaking test and OPIC test spiked nearly 9% on year. Many other certified tests that are popular among job seekers, including Korean history exams, have gone up in prices as well. But the issue is that for job seekers, they are not earning money. So these added costs only add to the pressure they receive when sitting the test.
3: Mm. It's just another case of rising costs and one that sadly affects those who who might feel the weight of that cost uh, even more. Uh, We'll see if this trend continues moving forward as well. Let's continue on to our last story. What else do you have for us today?
5: Well, Christmas is behind us now. We are all in on planning ahead for the New Year celebrations. One of the country's biggest New Year's events is the Puxingak bell ringing ceremony in Seoul. There are huge crowds and it can be difficult to go back home after the countdown. That is why Seoul City announced plans to extend public transport operation hours.
3: Yes, this is good news, especially because related to our earlier story, taxis are harder than ever to come by at night. So walk us through the changes for the New Year celebrations. Well, subway trains will be running
5: until 2 a.m. on New Year's Day. Around 173 more trains will be serving passengers, mainly on lines 1 through 9. As for buses, those running along 38 key routes, including those passing through Ulchiro Ilga Station, Jongno Samga, and Anguk, which are near the bell ringing ceremony venue, will be operating until 2 a.m. Cab drivers are encouraged to provide their services in the vicinity of the event. Authorities do plan to uh, provide some
3: incentives on top of late-night surcharges for the cab drivers. Yes, ensuring that everyone can get home conveniently and safely after the celebrations is important, of course. Uh, speaking of safety, I understand other important safety measures are being put in place as well. Yes, preventing overcrowding which could lead to disastrous accidents is a
5: priority, which is why trains will not stop at Jonggak Station from 11pm on the 31st until 1am the following day. As for Kwangmun Station, there are plans to maybe even close the station and prevent access from midnight until 2am if it gets too crowded over there. To make sure you're in the know about the traffic situations on this day, log on to
3: topis.sol.go.kr or call 120. Yes, hopefully everyone can usher in the new year safely and happily. That's where we're going to wrap it up for today's Korea Trending. Thank you for those stories, Daniel, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. now for korea book club our weekly corner where we delve into the world of korean literature and books usually through works available in the english language joining me in the studio this week we have literary translator beth Hong, which means it's our special monthly edition of the club where we discover a recent bestseller or popular work in korea that has not yet been translated so we get a better sense of the current literary scene here beth hello it's uh, great to see you again
6: Hi, Jangho, Good to be back.
3: Okay, so what have you brought for us this month?
6: For the final episode of Book Club for 2023, I've brought with me the novella Pa He by Koo Byung-mo, published in March 2023 by Wisdom House.
3: Yes, now this is actually a prequel to a previous work by the author that we've covered on Korea Book Club before, right? Can you tell us uh, briefly about this previous work first, which was called uh, Pa Gwa in Korean, right?
6: Yes. So, Pase is the uh, uh, prequel, as you said, um, to her 2013 full-length novel, Pagwa, which was translated into English by Kim Ji-young as The Old Woman with the Knife and published last year. Mm. The Old Woman with the Knife wi- was a hit among Korean readers for its unusual protagonist, a 65-year-old female assassin named Chogak, whose name is translated as Hornclaw in English. And for those who may be interested, the English translation of her name is based on the Hanja characters. In this novel, we learn that Hornclaw has worked for the past 40 years as what is euphemistically called a pest control agent. And I highly recommend this novel as well.
3: Yes, it was one of the most eye-catching books that we talked about last year as well, The Senior Citizen Assassin. Uh, but this uh, prequel novella, Pate, is set during Hornclaw's teenage years in the early 1960s in Korea, right? Can you tell us a bit more?
6: Yeah, um, so to be exact, this novella is set sometime between 1963 to 1965. And um, it's not that significant, though, because the story involves only two main characters, Mm. Hornclaw and her her teacher, Roo. Over the course of a month, Roo trains Hornclaw to become the cold-blooded killer that we eventually meet in the full-length novel. Through various extreme physical tests, she learns how to fight, attack, and shoot to kill. There's also some romantic tension between Hornclaw and her teacher, which I think may push some readers to go back to the novel and reread certain parts with this added nuance.
3: Mm, So an origin story of sorts, essentially, then. Uh, Now, the writer, Ku, is known for her very visceral prose that describes... Uh, extremely violent or uncomfortable situations. Was this also evident in this work?
6: Yes. Um, Dialogues such as when Rue goes into very specific detail about which parts of the body are most vulnerable to attack, as well as which blood vessels to target for the fastest and most efficient death are quite relentless in their intensity. And it's enough to make me wonder, actually, whether the author herself did any real training.
3: <laughs> well, perhaps she did, or at least uh, she'd done quite a lot of research for it. Now, the cover of this book is quite eye-catching as well. Uh, instead of the title, it has this phrase in Korean in big letters. Uh, Can you explain the meaning behind this?
6: Right. So this translates to something along the lines of once you've made up your mind and picked up the knife, don't hold back. And Rue says this to Hornclaw early on in her training, which is a key and it turns out to be a key line that describes the situation. He's basically saying that hesitating will lead to her downfall and that in order to survive, she has to not only com- have complete control over her surroundings and body, but also her mental state.
3: Right. So it sets the story up quite nicely. I think uh This work will very much interest readers who read the original, The Old Woman with the Knife. But I think it will also be quite interesting for newcomers as well. Uh, I guess it doesn't matter which way around you read it, but uh, those who've read the original, I think they'll perhaps get more out of it. Uh, For listeners who may not be familiar with this author, can you tell us a bit more about Ku Byung-mo and her place in the uh, current Korean literary scene?
6: Yes, so Gu was born in Seoul in 1976, and she studied Korean literature at Kyunghee University. She is mostly known as a sci-fi author, although mo- many of her works uh, cross various genre lines. Mm. Her 2009 debut novel, Wizard Bakery, mixes mystery, horror, and fantasy, and was awarded the prestigious Chengbi Prize for Young Adult Fiction. And it was the first young adult novel in South Korea, actually, to use magic as a major plot device and departing from what was up to then a genre convention of using only realistic settings. You can see that in many of her works, she pushes readers to question social norms around gender, age, and class through dystopian or fantastic settings. And since her debut, she has gone on to publish some 20 works, ranging from short story collections and novels and novellas. Her work has also appeared in various short story anthologies or literary magazines.
3: And of course, we should mention that you have actually translated one of her works as well for the Korean literature website, Nabalera.
6: That's right, yeah. Um, Her short story, Mirrorism, was one of the first short stories I ever translated, actually. (laughs) And it was definitely a very challenging work because um, it was told in a stream-of-consciousness tone. And um, just a quick summary, the story is about a man who wakes up in a hospital as a victim of a terrorist incident in which he's injected with a substance that gradually changes him into a woman.
3: Yes, we actually talked about this on Korea Book Club with Barry last year. It was a really engrossing story, and we both really enjoyed uh, the story and your translation as well. So for anyone who is interested, the translation is still available online at Nabilera. Now, seeing as it's the last book club of of the year with you, Beth, we thought we would wrap up today by briefly looking back at the year in books for Korea and talk about some of the bestsellers that you introduced to us. So can you tell us what were the most notable books for you this year?
6: Well, by a fairly large margin, The Teachings of Say No by Say No was the best-selling book of 2023 here in Korea. 불편한 Pyonijam or Uncanny Convenience Store, Books 1 and 2, as well as Hebang Ilji or My Father's Liberation Notes by Jung also maintained their spots in the top 10 list for best-selling works as well for this year.
3: Yes, I remember those uh, books. The Teachings of Say No, that was of course a a non-fiction book uh, and that was very interesting. Uh, A lot of youngest readers especially were drawn in by that book. Uh, What was your personal favourite this year though?
6: For me, I have two. I have one translated work and one Korean. I really enjoyed Kore or Whale by Tong gwan whose translation by Kim Tiang was long listed for the International Booker Prize this year mm. it 's a really sweeping epic tale of three generations of women in the aftermath of the Korean War, which will keep you holding your breath until the very end. And I also really enjoyed If I Had My Life to Live Over, Manindega 내가 인생을 다시 산다면, by Kim henam as I am putting more focus these days on how to live a full life with no regrets. And just to recap, uh, Kim henam is a medical doctor who was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at the age of 43 in 2001, and she overcame her despair and depression and went, over to, went on to write more than 10 books that have reached over 1.3 million readers in Korea. And I'm going to turn it over to you, uh, Chang-ho, what were some of your favorite works from this year?
3: <laughs> As I think we discussed last year, I really don't read enough, and you've put me on the spot once again. But I thought uh, a book that Barry introduced a couple of months ago was really interesting. It was called uh, The Republic is Calling You by Kim young about a North Korean sleeper agent living in Seoul who is activated by the regime. Uh, but he forged a new life in the South with a wife and child. So he's torn over what to do. Uh, that was also, uh, I believe, translated by Kim ji I thought that was really interesting. Uh, other than that, Whale, as you said, is probably the standout book that was translated into English this year, especially with that uh, International Booker Prize nomination. Right, that's it for our final edition of The Book Club for 2023 with you, Beth. It's been great to have you with us this year. Have a great new year and we look forward to seeing you. What else uh, that you bring for us next year as well? Thank you again and we'll see you next year.
6: Take care. See you in 2024.
5: We are Boys Choir Bonipueri, and you are now listening to...
3: Korea 24! We've come to our closing segment now, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald. And for that, we have our staff editor, Richard Larkin, here with us. Richard, hello, it's great to see you. Hello, great to see you too. I believe you have just one story today. Yes, we do. What do you have for us? So back in May this year,
7: the South Korean government and the Jogay Order came up with a plan to make temples in Korea more attractive to visitors. They created free waivers. And now the Cultural Heritage Administration has the figures that show whether the project was a success or not. And they can be found in Choi Shiyoung's youngs article
3: in the Culture section of the Korea Herald. Okay, so they made temples free, you're saying? Yes. So before we look at whether the project was a success, can you tell us more about the government and the Jogi Order's plan? Yeah, so like you said, the idea was to scrap admission fees for
7: temples so that visitors can freely enjoy these historical sites. But obviously an issue came about. With no admission fees, the Joge Order would uh, lose a lot of its income for maintaining the temples and more to overcome this the cultural heritage administration instead is making up for the loss of admission fees so 41.9 billion won so that's around 32 million dollars was actually allocated by the government to do this this year and it seems like this project was a big success so far that's because the number of visitors to temples across the country this year increased by 33 percent on average from the previous year
3: wow so it is succeeding then. Yes. It's great to hear that uh, this has succeeded. People are obviously feeling the influx, in effects of inflation and right. so on. So having these sites open to the public for free would allow people to enjoy Korea's history and culture without having to worry about extra costs. Exactly. The fact that they're actually taking up uh, the opportunity as well right. is very encouraging indeed. Uh, did the CHA go into details about which temples saw the uh, best results?
7: Uh, it actually did, yeah. So Hua uh, Umsa, a temple in South Chola province, Saw the best results the number of visitors this year increased by 42 percent when compared to last year's figures second was He insta uh south in south gyeongsang province which saw the number of visitors increase by 34 percent and then third was sun amsa in south Chola province which saw a 22 percent rise so yeah some really positive uh, numbers and who knows they could rise again next year mm. it is the first year of this project so maybe there
3: are still people who don't know about it yet Sure. So we'll see how this uh, reduction in fees affects uh, people going to temples next year as well. Okay, we'll leave it there for morning edition preview. Thank you for bringing us that story, Richard. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Before we wrap up, we'd like to remind our shortwave listeners in South America of some changes. KBS World Radio's English service on the frequency 9.580 megahertz targeting south america will unfortunately be coming to an end from january 1st 2024 instead we'll be airing the same programming on 9.570 megahertz for more details please go to the pr room on our website world.kbs.co.kr we appreciate your understanding and that is where we close it out for our show today join us again tomorrow for more news views and reviews from korea till then i've been your host kwon jang and thank you as always for listening goodbye
1: offers all you need to know on Korea through its various programs. Are you into the latest K-pop tracks? Then K-pop Connection is your fix. Brian Ju brings you the best of K-pop and K-culture. On Korea 24, host Kwon Jang-ho helps listeners digest all the biggest stories coming out of South Korea. Keep up with what's happening on the peninsula by listening to Korea 24. Learn about Korean folktales on Mondays with Global Audiobook, Once Upon a Time in Korea. If you're a bookworm, don't miss Books on Demand, a program that introduces Korean literature to the global audience every Tuesday. Our Wednesday program, Korea Today and Tomorrow, provides news on the latest diplomatic developments in and around the Korean peninsula. Want to go deeper than K-pop? Sounds of Korea takes a closer look at various traditional music every Thursday. KBS World Radio is your go-to channel for all things Korea. Tune in!
5: ABS World Radio.